Welcome to the Practice Podcast, conversations probing the nature of practice. I'm your host, Dave Firon. This conversation with future nurse Rachel Trezor had me trying out so far about eight different introductions because thinking about the importance of nurses in our lives has gone through this pandemic and beyond. I would want to do about 20 of these podcast episodes with potential actual and retiring nurses because that life that they have is so different than anything that I can imagine the rest of us experiencing. Particularly now for Rachel, who is going to be a senior in our Bachelor's of Nursing program and has had some direct experience now over the previous summer and soon to be providing nursing tech support in an ER in the same hospital for her summer work. There are no further delusions about what nursing can mean to her and yet she's unshakable in her commitment to become a nurse. Thank goodness. <laughs> and you'll know why. Thank her goodness, her intelligence, her clarity, and just her flexibility. She's adapted, I don't know, a dozen times, as says most college students in the, through the COVID emergency. And she just has optimism coming out of her eyes, <laughs> which you can't see. But I could see it when I recorded this on Zoom. So here is Rachel Trezor. Well, folks, this, this is uh, another step in the direction of reaching to students, former students, but in this case, a current student. Rachel Trezor is about to become a senior, her last year in the nursing program at Central Connecticut State University. Uh, one of the reasons that I think of Rachel as a student of mine is that she is a now twice recipient of the Firon Duran Scholarship. So while I've never had her in the classroom, I have kept a fond eye on what she has been doing through the last semesters that she accepted that, I believe, honor. Because the scholarship, when Joe DeFeo, who's, who's been in this podcast, uh, endowed it and created it, uh, was to find young talent who believe in excellence, not just as a, as a word, but actually demonstrate the pursuit of excellence in, in whatever they do, but particularly in the areas of business and healthcare. And that was, uh, that was certainly Rachel. And that'll be fun to have you meet someone who is still in, uh, in the process of developing practice. So Rachel, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, let's start with when you heard from us two years ago now that you were going to be a Firon Duran scholar. What, what, did, what did that mean to you other than $2,000, which is very nice? <laughs> right, right. Absolutely. Um, like you had said, the word excellence to me doesn't, it's not just a word. You know, I think I was going into my, I was in my junior or sophomore yeah. year when I applied to the scholarship. And you know, I had just been getting into the groove of college, um, being in the honors program and the nursing program just starting. I had a significant um, 
pile of work on me, but I know that I'm more than just the word excellence. I like to be involved outside of school and inside the classroom. I'm very social. I like to be with all my classmates. And as the years have gone on, I've definitely developed a lot of good relationships with other classmates and my teachers. And yeah, as the years have been going on, I've been very appreciative of the scholarship and it's definitely opened me up to more connections such as you and Joe. You just uh, characterize a lot of the elements of effective practice in, in what you said in those last few words, Rachel. Uh, the, certainly the uh, development of relationships goes with not everyone, but with people who are developing, uh, working to succeed, whether it's in a sport or in a classroom. Uh, and you can't, you really can't do it alone. The fact that you're developing relationships with teachers is, again, very, very important to us teachers, because the stronger our connection, the more likely we are to have a, a real sense of who you are and what you're striving to become. But then a lot of that changed uh, last March or a year ago now, March, when COVID hit. And suddenly on a Thursday, they were telling you all, that's it, can't yep. even come back to campus. How did that affect you, both with our labs at school when you were just starting to get some clinical instruction and, and, be, and for all the other things you said about staying in touch with people? Right, we had just begun. Like my sophomore year was kind of just getting into the groove of figuring out, you know, just classroom nursing stuff. But my, the end of the spring semester was when things started to really take off as far as clinical experience. Oh, there you were, you know, <laughs> getting outside of the classroom. And then all of a sudden I was in the cafeteria and we got an email that we have to leave that day. And we had, I had to pack up my dorm, go home. And we were all kind of blind as to what was going to happen with school. And yeah. my professors were kind of just, let's take this day by day. We'll figure it out. And yeah. we had to do clinicals online, which were not nearly <laughs> as good as being in person, but I guess we made do. And as this year went on, we did get to get into the hospital a little bit. So it's been getting better slowly but surely, but it definitely affected. Luckily, I was in my sophomore, spring semester of my sophomore year, I believe. It's been that long. Yeah. So I wasn't too much into the clinical experience. I'd be very upset if it was now. Oh, yeah. I have my medical surgical rotation. So that's really hands-on, you know, giving medicine to patients and all that. Whereas last year was just observation. So yeah. I, I didn't really miss too much, but it definitely threw us all for a curveball. For sure. How did you adjust personally when you had to go basically your home, you're no longer with, a, with a fr easy access to friends and all that? Right. How did you make that adjustment? Um, personally, my, my freshman year, I commuted to school anyways. So I'm a, I'm a big homebody and I really liked being home with my family. I got to spend a lot of time with them and I was very appreciative of that time because now I'm very busy. I'm barely home. You know, I have, a house, <laughs> I have a house in New Britain with four other roommates, four other nursing students. So, you know, it was good that I got to be with my family, but it was definitely scary. And um, we were all, we were worried what was going to happen and, you know, if we could figure it out. But looking back on it, it was, it was a pretty good time. I, I liked being with my family. So it was good. That is good. And I'm sure mm -hmm. they liked having you there too, for a mm -hmm. while anyway. Yeah. Yeah. But then, as I recall, you had set up uh, to work at one of our hospitals, uh, 
the one in New Britain, mm -hmm. uh, for that particular summer. I guess it would be the summer before this one that we've just uh, completed. How did that go for you? Because that puts you right in a hospital yep. on a day-to-day -day yeah. basis. Yeah, absolutely. I started there in June of last summer. So that was kind of, it was a it was a little settled down at that point there you know the hospitals weren't very overwhelmed but i definitely was getting in with the patients full gear just trained they 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 needed people so we i know there. you basically said here read the manual now you're on the floor yep. yeah. <laughs> and you had to wear the space suit during that time mm -hmm. yeah yep full gear but um it was good i i it's pretty cool to say that i was working during the COVID-19 pandemic and yes, it was good, a good experience and I'm continuing to work there and I really like it there. So it's been good. Yeah. Now that, uh, that uh, was, a, a, it seems now with so many people vaccinated in Connecticut, thank God, mm -hmm. uh, it seems like a dis, uh, sort of a disappearing memory, but there still were then and now people who, were infected and had to be hospitalized did you have did they put you in a, in support of that aspect of the nursing last summer when they were coming in infected with covid or did they keep you in, a, in other quarters oh, where you... I, no i was definitely hands-on with those infected um luckily wow. I, didn't, I didn't have to see any anybody on any ventilators or anything like that that's more icu care. icu yeah yeah but you know, everybody's still scared. They don't know what's going on. I mean, that it, we couldn't have visitors at that time. So mm -hmm. we were kind of their only communication besides the phone. So it, I think it was good for them to have people who were caring for them and supportive of them. Once uh, when Joe DeFeo and I met you uh, in person back then, talked a little bit about what drew you into health, into nursing, mm -hmm. you spoke in, very compelling and emotional terms about uh, your granddad and uh, and being seeing how important care was to him i was very i am remain impressed with that uh, because now i'm hearing it in your voice that you were there mm -hmm. during a lot of families in crisis and you had empathy yes am i right <laughs> mm -hmm. absolutely yeah i find with a lot of my patients I do feel for a lot of them and I try as hard as I can to be there for them and listen to them through the tough times that they're going through because everybody's situation is different and it's important to be able to connect with different types of people and they're not everybody's uh, you know everybody's in the um, in their best behavior when they're not feeling well you know oh, so you not gotta, at all you yeah. gotta work with what you got and it's been very good learning um, bedside social skills through the last two years at the hospital. In New Britain, there are so many different uh, ethnic groups and nationalities that have uh, immigrated to the, to our city. Uh, did, did you find it, those who had uh, difficulty in speaking English, did you find that that pretended an additional challenge to the hospital when um, they were in crisis, like Polish or yeah, Spanish, yeah. which are the two prominent languages in our town? Yeah, yeah, I've definitely encountered multiple patients who have struggled to speak um, English, but some of the nurses and technicians, luckily, I've crossed many who speak Polish and are able to connect with the patients, but we also have translators as well, but it's definitely, I'm sure, very scary for them 
to not be able to understand what someone's saying and you know you're just you're just trying to get better so it definitely is a challenge but I, I do have a little bit of background in Spanish, so I try, and, it, and immediately you can feel a relief when someone, when they can understand you in some way. So it's been, it's been hard for them, I'm sure, but there are, there are new technologies and ways around that. Yeah. Now, what about this academic year? That was last summer. Uh, you were still uh, virtual for the fall. Uh, all, did, did you come back you had your clinicals that you could do. Did you have any coursework on campus in the spring? Yeah, uh, this past whole entire year, we had, as far as my courses, all of my nursing ones, except one, were in person. And then I had a microbiology class in person. And then my honors classes were virtual. Yep. But, you know, campus was, is definitely not the same. I oh, had the same faces. It was so strange. I I had had to go over there for some errand or something uh, in the fall. And I'm looking around and I'm, you know, I worked there for over 30 years. So my headset was people bustling up and down those sidewalks, you know, the crossover sidewalks from the uh, student union and and Mm -hmm. and Moore Hall in my building and and uh, you know just the energy, and which I loved. I mean, I would, my batteries were charged every yep. day that I walked onto that campus. Mm-hmm. But on, in that particular visit, it it was very sad, and I, I was uh, and scary. it was the height. We were still way up there on on infection rates and so forth. So I realized it, but uh, and I had had any vac- We didn't even know the vaccine was going to be possible around that right. time. So it was. It was like, how long can a place that's been there for nearly 200 years, 1848, uh, how long can this place survive without people? I know. (laughs) Let alone income, but just people. (laughs) So it must have been good to start seeing that reopening. uh, Yeah, I'm hoping next semester, I think, well, we'll, we should be good to go as far as in person. So Yeah, I think the vaccination is going to be required and uh and available so well that's great now you finally were there in uh in you had been in a hospital for all that previous summer so you certainly were not uh naive about the seriousness of the work and you and you saw a lot of nurses doing their job let me ask cat's question before we talk about what your coursework was like seeing how tough it was on some nurses, particularly the emotional labor of nursing, did you start to even think, why <laughs> do I really want to be a nurse? Um, you know, I, yeah, I, I, I see a lot of them are, they're burnt out. They're tired in times like that. I think they do feel appreciated by the communities, the surrounding communities. You always see Thank you to our healthcare workers. A lot of the businesses are reciprocating it to everybody else, but in the hospital, maybe management, not so much are showing their appreciation. It seems like they cut a lot of the nurses from what I've heard. A lot of people were let go. And so everybody else, you know, some of the floors are understaffed and they're working overtime and they're working really hard. But I think now it's starting to get a little bit better. The censuses are seeming to go down, but, um, no, honestly, it, it didn't really change my perspective of nursing. I think um, those who have that drive in them, they were still continuing to give the same care to their patients. They weren't, they weren't um, letting up. 
you know, they're tired, but they know that it's not just a job. They want to save these people. They want to keep going and keep helping them. So I, I really looked up to some of those nurses. I've made some really good connections with nurses and yeah, I, I, I like, I like what I'm going to want to do. That's that put the proverbial finger on the essence of practice. Mm -hmm. When you saw, despite some of the most horrendous challenges to being a nurse, you saw the ones with the drive, the mm -hmm. ones with the passion, the ones who really were there and got their greatest satisfaction out of saving lives and getting people back on their feet. Uh, right. And it's not just fiction. It's not just a fancy story or something on, on television. It's, mm -hmm. it, it, it is, it is why they nurses and why you are now, you know, not one day a nurse, you'll, you'll be getting your license, but you are becoming a nurse because that's who you want to be. B E big B E. Uh, and, and so it gone, it went from a time when you were a freshman and sophomore where you thought, well, I like to get into the nursing program. How do, I have other choices. I'm in the honors program. I could stay liberal arts, but you chose to get into that clinical world. And it is a big W world. It's a very complex world. So when you took your courses, now you're in, in doing um, some of the, in the laboratory still, but how did it compare with seeing the real practice and then being in a sort of a theoretical classroom where they're talking about the same kind of practice? Right. Um, in clinicals and, you know, in our labs, we're kind of just being taught by one person and we're reciprocating that on, say, our, our partners or whatever we're doing. You know, we're doing an assessment in, in, the, in the lab is not nearly the same as doing an assessment on someone you don't know you know, doing it on a mannequin and talking to somebody and, and just starting to communicate with a patient is definitely different than being with somebody in person. But I think getting in there and advocating for yourself and just the more you do it, the more comfortable you get. But as far as the beginning of the program, I think it was good to be in the labs and to just get you know, it's very overwhelming when all of a sudden you're used to just taking your math classes and your physics, physics class. And then all of a sudden you're hands-on looking at, you know, wounds and needles and all this stuff. So it definitely, the labs are a good transition for sure. Before yeah. Into the hospital, but it's crazy where, where I am now is very different from a year ago, as far as you've grown, you um, have grown, you have grown. Is there a particular nursing and uh, professor uh, who you feel is uh, has really helped you the, the most. You don't have to name a name, but it, it, how important is, is that teaching to you? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I can think of two off the top of my head who really have made a difference in, in my classwork. Um, some of them, you know that they really want to teach you and they want to help you and they want you to succeed. Um and there's one particular one who's been working with me this past whole entire year. She's my advisor for my honors thesis. I had to write a thesis this year. So I've yeah. been lucky enough to work with her. Her name is Professor um, Tamara Holland. Mm -hmm. We've been working together um, and she's just great. She really cares for her students and she's made me feel very smart in the past few you almost feel like a peer when you're with yeah. someone like that. Isn't that right. amazing? Yeah, that yeah. that's that's wonderful. Now, you, you talked a bit about your mass, your honors thesis even a year or so ago. 
now it's it's going to be peaking in a few months. Uh, and now you've had collaboration collaboration with outstanding nurse educator. Uh, talk a little bit about that that paper. What's it going to be about? Yeah. So my thesis is about. I got inspired um, by my grandfather. He's the inspiration for a lot of stuff. But growing up with him, he struggled with diabetes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I didn't know much about it. And I feel as though a lot of people aren't really educated on the truth behind it. And if you don't take care of your body, your bodies, it's not going to help you. And there are a lot of categories associated with diabetes, such as cardiovascular problems, um, sensation problems, just what, what happens when you have too much sugar in your blood. So I'm writing a thesis about the various components to diabetes, the financial aspect, how how costly insulin can be, and oh yeah, some of these families can't afford it, but they're trying to help themselves. Um, the complications associated with diabetes, you know, my grandfather he lost both of his legs because of you know healing blood circulation. His his body just wasn't healing. He had to remove those, and so being able to learn more about it and compare it to his experience and hopefully educate others on the importance of taking care of your body because it can it can be very scary and deadly when when you don't do that especially with those with type 2 diabetes do have a choice it's it's diet it's um, exercise it's understanding what really goes on in your body when you continually put it under a state of um, high blood glucose and what can really happen to it watched my my lovely sister uh gradually let every aspect of diabetes uh, uh, do what she didn't lose a limb but it was close but she did have renal renal failure and some other thing it was awful because she she could still be alive today she would only be in her early 70s uh and uh so we, we kind of watched all that as and thousands have, I think that's a very admirable study. Now let me leap forward a little bit because I'm looking at my clock here. We're still doing all right on time, but so you've, you've put a lot in and you're going to continue to put a lot into that piece of thinking and research. Can you picture yourself specializing in that aspect of nursing that, that treats people with, uh, type one and type two diabetes? Yeah, um, absolutely. I think in whatever field I decide to go down, I'm definitely going to encounter encounter um, patients who are struggling with that. And I think one of the most important parts of being a nurse is educating your patients. So mm-hmm. I'm sure there's going to be patients who don't think that having diabetes is a bad thing and that they're going to they're gonna be able to get through it. And there's going to be those who are just newly diagnosed and they're not going to know what to do. So I think knowing the knowledge that I have learned from this thesis, I'll be able to educate patients better and get them through, you know, their experience with diabetes. So that's a good way of putting it. You could be doing a whole bunch of different kinds of nursing and very likely you're going to be helping a patient of any age along with any other reason you're you're working with that patient they're gonna there's a good chance they'll be presenting presenting diabetic diabetic symptoms and uh so yeah that so you don't necessarily have to become uh specialized but um uh, 
how about another aspect though I'm, I'm rushing you you haven't even earned your bsn but i'm asking to ask you can you see yourself becoming a nurse practitioner yeah uh, i definitely see myself going back to school um, i think it would be really important to get clinical experience under my belt and actual practice for the first couple of years and yeah i think well you know a few years ago i was dead set on opening my own practice and you know mm -hmm. having my own practice and treating patients but i might love the hospital so i might want to stay there but i do see myself yeah continuing and being an aprn for sure i can too <laughs> I, I wish we had a scholarship for that level of your of your education, but we we definitely happy to move you through through this one. Uh, what would you like to ask me as we're rounding out this conversation? What is important to you as a teacher in connecting with your students? How do you know that what you know, that they love what they're doing and how do you know that you love what you're doing? Yeah, well, I kind of rigged the game back when I was teaching full time. What I did, I took every level of electronic uh, support that students had from way back in the early 80s right through into 2016. And I would say the future of business in my case is going to be highly electronic. You're going to have to be interactive. So I would bring students to a point where in every course they had to do a lot of uh, presenting their their uh, ideas and knowledge to each other electronically as well as in the regular classroom so i was building these blended courses back when i was a pain in the ass for everyone in it oh here comes fear and he's sending these these grumbling students in they, you know, they're actually using a digital mainframe computer. I'm talking well before you were born. So the, the, the direct answer then is that I had writing intensive classes every semester and, and the writings were, were uh, basically q and I, I would have eight levels of experience every week and each level had a set of questions to be answered in regard to uh, connecting to the obviously to the to the paper the the chapters and all the rest but particularly well we just had this management exercise that we ran through you know we, we called them games what what did you observe who did who helped you the most who did you help the most what was you know so i just questioned the hell out of them. one mm -hmm. course toward the end my innovation course i remember counting up how many questions they had to answer in the semester it was almost 850 questions so what why such an excessive load well for two reasons first i knew that that was nothing compared to what the real world was going to be presenting them every day just a steady stream of tests of what they knew and if they didn't know it, why not? And what are you going to do about it? So I was preparing them with mm -hmm. these with this plethora of questions. But the other piece, which you mentioned earlier in our conversation, was by everyone reading everyone's answers, which is part of their assignment. I have if I had 35 students in that introduction to management, they were reading 34 other students' answers to those questions. 
And then for some, they were assigned to give feedback. So I was also teaching them that while I was brilliant and you sure as hell should write down every word I ever spoke and memorize it and go and live by it, which is ridiculous. You're going to always find wonderful insights from someone you least expected it. Mm -hmm. And so you would see some guy who came in who could lift, you know, 400 pounds up at Kaiser Hall, football player, and everyone was stereotyped this person as thinking that he could barely write sentences. And he'd be writing these wonderful, clear, insightful answers. And I could picture the students at his team going, you did, you wrote that? Yeah. Or, or some of our students from minority groups, we had a, we have a first a Muslim woman in a course I remember fairly recently. And I actually was, was concerned because it was right in the middle of all this, uh, ISIS stuff and everything. And I was afraid that she might, you know, be a little shy about putting her idea. She put her ideas right out there. She got great feedback before we knew it. We had such acceptance. That was my joy. Mm -hmm. And so while I haven't been in, in the classroom for five years now, uh, I have uh, continued to find ways to learn about people, which is what the podcast is doing. And keep myself very much connected to the society of organization behavior teachers. Uh, so I can be uh, uh, in tune with what they're going through, particularly over this last year. And at four o'clock today, I'm going to be joining a team uh, of our fellow professors who are putting on an early educator Institute uh, for our annual now virtual conference of org behavior teachers uh, so that uh, we can I, I just stay with it. No, no one has, mm -hmm. uh, while I'm fortunately emeritus professor, no one has said, okay, David, you know, hang up your, your teaching shoes. You can't, you can't teach anymore. I just, I have to. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so yeah, you ask a $20 question. <laughs> Lovely. Thank you. Well, we are uh, at a point where I'm going to thank you a lot for, for, not just what you said, it was, it was wonderful. But when people hear your, they're going to hear your spirit, Rachel, they're going, they're going to, they're going to see in their minds what I can fortunately see on screen, you know, a very lively, confident, very serious young woman who has a great smile and, <laughs> Thank you. and can, can laugh at this ponderous old professor who's been yakking away to it. <laughs> the whole call but it's it's been a lot of fun and i'll, I'll certainly let you know what we're going to be showing it great thank you definitely a great conversation thank you for having me thanks for listening to the practice podcast where we discuss practice with a capital p if you'd like to hear more listen in on spotify Automatic and Apple Podcasts, or go to inactionresearch.com slash podcast dash page. And if you'd like to learn more about social inaction and the nature of practice, head over to inactionresearch.com for more information. Thank you for supporting this show. We look forward to hearing from you soon.